0: sharp, pointed, and insightful. This is Stacy on the Right on American Family Radio and Urban Family Talk.
1: China does have one very powerful card. It could play if things really get heated. It holds about $1 trillion in U.S. debt. If China were to start dumping U.S. securities, it could have a negative effect on the American economy. But in doing so, China would be harming the very market that it really needs. Horowitz has already concluded that the final three FISA's were completely illegal. He's now on the brink of finding that the first FISA was completely illegal. They've already gotten documents. He's already talked to the Intel people. Durham's been working for a couple of months. So the, the bottom line is this, this is now big time. And now, Stacey Washington
2: you listen carefully to the Lord, your God, and do what is right in his eyes, if you pay attention to his commands and keep all his decrees, I will not bring on you any of the diseases I brought on the Egyptians, for I am the Lord who heals you. What an amazing promise God made to the Israelites, which still resonates with us today because God is still on the throne and still taking care of us, even Going so far as to number the hairs on our head. Welcome to the program, everybody. Thank you for making your home at American Family Radio and Urban Family Talk. I'm so excited to be with you today. We have so much show, so much that we can get into. And what I want to first launch off into um, is, is part of what you just heard there promises that God has made to us to include eight powerful promises of God from Psalm 91. So, he who dwells in the shelter of the most high will rest in the shadow of the Almighty. That's Psalm 91.1. When you read this, um, this, this Psalm, it, it kind of, you can kind of feel yourself heating up and getting excited because God has basically laid out, if you meet these two prerequisites, look at what I will do. So first off, we have to be dwelling in the shelter of the most high, resting in the shadow of the Almighty. And this is in spite of our own temporal selves the the idea that we always remember that god is here for us and taking care of us and ordering everything for our good that sometimes is lost in the circumstances it's lost in the moments that we're walking out this everyday life but we have to have uh, a a cognizance of this and be reminded of it and so some people refer to psalm 911 as the 911 verse so what do you do when you have an emergency you dial 911 Well, our 911 verse of sorts is this one He who dwells in the shelter of the Most High will rest in the shadow of the Almighty. So, dwelling in the shelter of the Most High means we're praying. We're actually taking up permanent residence within the presence of God. This is a permanent place of living for us as believers. And the word says, if we do that, then we will rest in the shadow of the Almighty. And some of the descriptors of the shadow of the almighty. Well, in the Bible, it says the glory of the Lord, which is basically the back of the Lord is our rear guard. So that infers that we are, we're right there next to him and his glory is our rear guard. So that's a close relationship. It's a place of protection and covering. It provides relief from not only the direct heat of the sun or the elements or snow or rain or sleet or bad weather, but it provides Shelter from the slings and arrows of this life, the things that are kind of bearing down on you, health issues, uh, family problems, getting along with your extended family or your your nuclear family, all of the, the troubles that you might be facing at work or anywhere. We can dwell, take up permanent residence, be with, live in his presence permanently, which brings us rest. So. We can run to the shelter that he provides to us. The Bible refers to the wings of the almighty that we can run underneath them and receive shelter and protection. But there are other promises here as well. Psalm 91 also says, I will rescue him. That's God saying to us, he will rescue us. God will protect us, setting us on a high place. I will answer him. When we cry out, he will respond to and speak directly into our situation. I will be with him in trouble, in afflictions, in distress. He will never leave us or forsake us. I will deliver him, rescuing, bringing us into safety. When we get outside of what we're supposed to do or when this life makes, you know, it. it you can't avoid trouble. Trouble will come, but we can always run to him and he will bring us into safety. Psalm 91 also says he will honor us to make us rich, strong and heavy with honor. Richness, not only referring to, uh, you know, the circumstances of your finances, we're talking about the richness of living with Jesus Christ in relationship, which blesses everything that we have. So it's not whether or not a person is living in a mansion, you know, or one of those fantastic tiny homes that are now all the rage or anywhere in between, it's not the actual living circumstances. It's what's in that house, the joy that's in there, the relationships, the bonds the enjoyment of the life that we get to walk out here with long life i will satisfy him to have abundance in the journey an abundance of joy peace love hope the fruits of the spirit and the last promise in psalm 91 and show him my salvation god will show us salvation letting us see our deliverance and victory over the enemy, the ultimate victory that is the entire book of Revelation, the ultimate victory that was already won, bought and paid for on the cross, the ultimate victory that means when when God talks about our healing, for example, he he says, by Jesus Christ's stripes, you were healed. So walking out the healing is a matter of acknowledging that Jesus already paid the price for it. That's already been worked out. So God's reminders are sure, strong, and true to us. God assures us that in all things that we walk out through this journey of life, he's calling us always to rise above, to be seated with him in heavenly places through prayer. God reminds us that we're not alone. He never will leave us or forsake us. God reminds us that it's not that we won't face hard times, but he does say he will be there with us in it rescuing us, delivering us, and pouring his favor out over us. So this is something that we have to get in ourselves. And, and one of the things that you, know, you can find a little discouraging, you're like, oh, you know, I know this truth about what the Bible says, but you have to know that you know that you know, which comes from prayer and Bible study. And when you pray, then when you receive the answers to your prayers, telling other people about it. One of the things that cements what God has done for us, when when a promise of God comes alive off the page to us, when that promise becomes real, when he answers prayer, then we can solidify that so that we don't forget it by telling someone else. That then encourages that person. That then strengthens their faith. That makes them more willing to pray, to receive answer to their prayer as you have. And it brings glory to God and helps us to dwell with him. It, it, so it's a, it's a cycle. We pray and then he answers and then we share the good news of the deliverance or the healing or the answer prayer, whatever it is, we share that testimony and then others are encouraged by it and they pray and they receive the answer to their prayer and they increase their faith and share and share. And that is what we want to be in constantly. And so this isn't about being, you know, one of those people that Hollywood always portrays Christians as speaking in Christianese and, you know, being weird and odd. You know what people really want to hear from us as Christians? They want to hear that we're struggling with something. They want to hear that we've prayed about it and God has answered our prayer. They want us to offer to pray with them so they can have answers to their prayers. They want to know, well, if, if, if you're a Christian, why, if you're receiving answers to your prayer, how, how, how is God answering your prayer? It, it, you know, is that a part of being a Christian? People have questions and we have the answers if we're walking with Jesus Christ and praying and having our prayers answered. So Psalm 91, there are a lot of promises in there. It's fantastic, but it's also our battle cry as Christians, knowing that God is our provider. I want to go back to one of the verses where he says, you know, a thousand will fall at your hand and 10,000 will fall. That means he's going to put the enemy to flight away from us so that we can receive the blessings that he has for us. No man can pluck us out of his hand and no man can take what God has for you. No one can adjust it. No one can, you know, people who may see you and say, oh, that, you know, that's, and that's not what, no, it doesn't matter what they're saying. It doesn't matter what they're thinking. God is our dwelling place. He is where we are to reside in his presence permanently so that we can receive what he has for us. So I want to share a prayer with you. Um, I found this online. It spoke to me so much. Um, And I think this this is perfect for going with what we've just been discussing here in Psalm 91. And the prayer is by Debbie McDaniel. She's fantastic. Um, And one more quick little verse here. Um, Because he loves me, says the Lord, I will rescue him. I will protect him for he acknowledges my name. He will call upon me and I will answer him. I will be with him in trouble. I will deliver him and honor him with long life. Will I satisfy him and show him my salvation? All right. Heavenly father, thank you so much for your presence with us. Thank you for your almighty shadow. Thank you that you go before us and cover us from behind. Thank you that you are in our midst and that our future is secure in the place you're preparing for us. Your words bring such hope and comfort. Remind us of your strength today. May we see glimpses of your glory And blessing along the way as we seek after you. For victory and salvation are found in you alone. In the mighty name of Jesus, amen. And I would add to that, Heavenly Father, please give us boldness and power and strength to do your will. Please anoint us and fill us with your Holy Spirit and allow us to walk not by our own might, our own strength, our own power, but by yours. Give us the mind of Christ and give us the ability to get outside. Of what we think we can do, what we think we can say, what we think we can share and to operate in Holy Spirit boldness going forward, pouring out what you have for others, being the hand and feet of Jesus so that we can do all things through Christ who strengthens us. In Jesus name we pray. Amen. So that is uh, just I I always say that's so encouraging and that's like totally now a thing with me, I think. Um, But. It is it is so encouraging it's so phenomenal to have uh, these assurances provided to us in God's word and when when I say they're assurances, we don't serve a sometimey wishy-washy you know little statuette, something that we're never sure if God hears us, we're never sure if our prayers can be answered. We have not only the testimony of the saints who've gone on before, but we have God's word that proves to us that over and over again he doesn't just do what you've prayed for. He goes above all that we dare ask or think he goes greater further beyond. He's, he's ordering our path before we even know we have a problem. And, and I'll just share this. I uh, recently, we were dealing with a a problem um, having to do with one of the kids and the the whole college process. And when our daughter called and presented, you know, the kind of issue that she was having, and it's, it's by no means is it an emergency or anything that, you know, it's, it's just one of those problems where you're like, oh man, okay, that's, that's not only inconvenient, but it might cost more and we're just not sure how to handle it. So we get off the phone with her, my husband and I, and we prayed about the issue. And then I go to lay down to, to go to sleep. My husband's like, I'm go- going back downstairs and I'm, I'm already sitting on the bed. I'm like, I'm going to bed. I'm just, I'm frustrated. I'm tired. I just don't know what to, you know, what to think. I want to sleep. So I turn out the light you know, power down the phone and lay my head on the pillow. And then all of a sudden my eyes are open wide. I've just been like exhausted and it's like two o'clock in the afternoon. And the answer just comes to me, take this next step. So I text the kids in the group chat, you know, Hey, my husband's in there too. You know, I power the phone back on, text them. And from there, It has become so evident to us in the answering of that prayer, which it took about six weeks, but God answered the prayer that he was already ordering the solution to this problem. Before we knew we had the problem, he was ordering the solution months before he set things into motion that caused the resolution of this problem. When we received the resolution, we could see God's hand working on it months before we even knew we had the problem. And so. I just want to encourage you today that whatever that problem is, give it to the Lord with full knowledge and acceptance that he is going to solve it. He will give it to him. Let God work. All right. (laughs) When we get back, we're going to have Dan Gaynor, who's awesome from MRCTV.org and TechWatch. So we'll be back with more right after this.
3: Our Holy Land tour for March of 2020 is set. Hello, everyone. I'm Tim Wildman, president of American Family Association and American Family Radio. Last year, we sold out in August, and I expect us to do that again this year. There is such a high demand, especially among Christians in America, to see Israel, the land of the Bible. So we're going again in March on our annual trek. So I wanted to go ahead and let you know if you want to sign up and register get more information, whatever the case may be. If you want to go to our website, twholyland.com, twholyland.com, everything is there, twholyland.com. You can even print off a brochure from that website. It's going to be a wonderful time visiting Israel with brothers and sisters from across our country as we go to the Holy Land in March. So go ahead and get signed up now, twholyland.com.
0: Hi, I'm Crawford Loritz with a Legacy Moment. Our jails and prisons are full of people who had ingenious schemes who were able to pull them off for a while. But in the end, they all got caught. There are even people in our churches who are dishonest but bright people. They work both sides of the street, if you know what I mean, in order to get what they want. You know, a brilliant mind and a deceptive heart are a deadly combination. In 2 Samuel chapter 16, we read about one of these guys. His name was Ahithophel. Beginning at verse 20, we read, And Absalom, David's son, who had orchestrated the overthrow of his father, said to Ahithophel, Give your advice, and what shall we do? And Ahithophel said to Absalom, Go into your father's concubines, whom he has left to keep the house. Then all Israel will hear that you have made yourself odious to your father. And Absalom actually followed this guy's advice. Verse 23, and the advice of Ahithophel, which he gave in those days, was as if one inquired of the word of God. So was all the advice of Ahithophel regarded by both David and Absalom. Later in chapter 17, they listened to another guy instead. Verse 23, now when Ahithophel saw that his counsel was not followed, he saddled his donkey and arose and went to his home, to his city, and set his house in order and strangled himself. Thus he died and was buried in the grave of his father. Two quick lessons here. Number one, check out the heart and character you go to for advice. Number two, check out your heart and motivation for your actions and advice. Here's what I want you to remember and do today. Surrender your mind and your motivation to the Lordship of Christ. Don't scheme, but sincerely serve God and others. Thanks, Crawford, and thank you for listening to today's Legacy Moment, a production of Moody Radio. Welcome back to Stacy on the Right on American Family Radio and Urban Family Talk.
2: Hey there, welcome back to the program. Check us out over at Stacyonthewright.com. Also, you can find the link to our Teespring that we've just launched to get those t-shirts and mugs and cell phone covers that you've been asking for. You ask, we've answered. You can find that link over at stacyontheright.com or on our Facebook page where it's pinned to the top. Also head over to OneNewsNow.com, our news site for American Family Association, where we have fantastic content. Right now, it's my pleasure to welcome Dan Gaynor, a frequent favorite of the show. He's the vice president of MRC Tech Watch. Dan, thanks for coming on today.
4: Oh, it's a pleasure. This is such an important topic. I'm happy to talk about it.
2: Okay, so the important topic, let's just go right into it. And this is the, it's like slipping through the daisies of annoyance for me. Because... Google and Facebook and Twitter and all of these online social media giants, they're not successful, even as, as they continue to clamp down on censoring uh, conservatives. The message is going to go out because you can't stop the truth. So that's what you've been writing about, that liberal journalists are now even, it's so bad liberal journalists are admitting to this.
4: Yeah, this is great. Uh, Northwestern Journalism School had an assistant professor do an analysis of Google News and who it links to. And your Columbia Journalism Review, which is basically the Bible for liberal media uh, journalism, they did a big piece on it. They ran from him. And he discovered that a young, he came up with this top 20 list, but he did an overall analysis. The overall analysis liberal outlets, his definition, not ours, his definition five to one linked to over conservative outlets five to one. And then in the top 20 outlets, only one uh, didn't lean left uh, you know, uh, under under our definition.
2: So I, I guess, because I'm, you know, Dan, one of the things that we've done here on the show, and you and I have talked about this subject before, and I know you've gone all over talking about it as well. This isn't, a, you know, I don't, I don't see very many people denying it unless they're just They're kind of deranged ideologues, but most normal people will admit that the tech giants don't feel like letting conservatives have the run of the land. In other words, just letting us talk the same way that they can, letting us write and share the way that they can, that they don't feel like that's a fair shake for them. So my question to you is, and and, you know, why, why, why is it that Mark Zuckerberg is so obsessed with keeping the truth out? Of the mainstream audience, why does he feel like it's it's so dangerous to liberals to allow you know the Stacy on the Right show to just have free access and let my streams go out and let people choose to watch if they want to?
4: Well, you remember that basically the origin of a lot of these things was free speech. Twitter particularly advertised itself as a free speech platform, and then Donald Trump used the twenty sixteen election, used social media to win the presidency, and ever since then they've been trying to. Rewrite history. They don't want to. They don't want to have anything involved. They realize in their world that suddenly it's not just a bunch of people who like quilting getting together online. It's people who disagree with them getting together online, and suddenly they realize the tools that they thought they owned, other people could own them too. And so that's been the whole battle. That's been the reason why they want to focused on Russia collusion because they want to blame somebody because they, you know, they want to use this as a club to beat up Facebook, when Russia spent $100,000 on ads, which the, the, the left spent more than that just on the Roy Moore race, uh, doing exactly the same strategies the Russians did.
2: Right, which they actually won that. They ran someone who was a hardcore, dyed-in-the-wool uh, liberal Who pretended just for the race that he was a moderate and they attacked Roy Moore and smeared him in the worst possible way and got the seat for their guy who coincidentally, and I know you saw this out there. I read a story about how um, he actually runs ads, but he uses Facebook and Twitter to target these hardcore leftist ads. To people in his district who are leftists, but he hides those ads from people who are conservatives because he doesn't want them to know what he's really doing while he's in office. The same people who sent him there because he was the only alternative—a moderate Democrat—to Roy Moore.
4: Well, and this this whole conspiracy that the left did in Alabama—I mean, that's what it was. Even the New York Times acknowledges it was funded in part by Reed Hoffman, who's uh, one of the founders of LinkedIn. He's uh, on the board of Microsoft, I mean, this is a this is a major scandal. If the media cared to report on it, as it is, it got a couple of New York Times stories and almost no other coverage. But you know, you talk about how he's showing ads to one group and not to another. There's a hearing this week uh, on Capitol Hill where they're looking at something that sounds complicated, but it's pretty simple, at least in theory is called algorithmic transparency. It's one of the big issues that actually I think the left and the right might find some common ground on. And if Facebook decides who's in your news feed. You don't decide. You might try to direct Facebook to put the people in there, but they will actively remove people. If they don't see you engaging in the content, they removed it. Or if they don't like the content, they'll remove it or downgrade it. Mark Zuckerberg admitted that they've been downgrading content that didn't Violate their rules since 2016. Yet, they, you know that that's the so when you see your news feed, you see what they want to give you, not what you want. So the the idea is for these companies to be transparent in what they're doing. I think I think people would be very upset if they started to see how these algorithms that control our lives. Uh, and I mean, they're they're just algorithms, just a fancy term for computer programs. Yeah, when if you use Google Maps, an algorithm determines how you're gonna get from point A to point B. And it says, Oh well there's too much traffic here, you're gonna go this way. Now we're assuming it's telling us it the truth. I, I certainly I based my life on you know travel on, on Google Maps. But what if it wasn't? Well we know they all the all these social media companies and search media companies, Google, YouTube, Facebook, Twitter, all promoted getting out the vote in in 2018, all of a big deal. Now, did they share those ads equally with people they know that they're conservative and liberal?
2: No, because I didn't see any of them. I didn't see any of them. I didn't see any get out the vote ads.
4: (laughs) Not one. So so did they do that? I have no idea. And we have no idea. And the only people who have an idea about this are the social media companies. Mm. So So that's, That's one of the possible solutions to this problem.
2: Well, wait, wait. So one of the possible solutions is just one more time. To
4: force them to be transparent in what they do, all these companies. And, you know, they don't want to do it. One, they change the algorithms all the time. Facebook particularly notorious for changing its algorithms all the time and even even antagonizing the traditional media. But if they were more transparent, people would know what's in our news feed. Maybe we'd even have the ability to adjust it. Well, they don't want that. They want, to
2: tell us what to, they want to tell us what to put in. Okay, so th- that was my next question. So you kind of beat me to the punch there. But I, wanna, I want you to delve a little bit more into, because one of the things that I think of when you talk about that, and this, is, this may sound crazy, but it just occurs to me that if they can say, like, you know, let's say you're, you're going from point A to point B as in your example. You talk about, you know, you're driving, you're going somewhere, you're, you're trying to find your way. And maybe you want to see on the map a certain business that's between point A and point B. Now, I'm not saying they're doing this already, but they could theoretically filter out any business that they don't want you to see. And the only way you know it was there is if you spot it while you're driving, which we all know how difficult that is if you're trying to keep your eyes on the road and be a safe driver. But there's, uh, there, the same thing happens on social media where I believe, because I'm, I'm, I'm at 80,000, I point this out all the time, I'm at 80,000 uh, likes on my Facebook page. It's constantly updated. We're constantly streaming there. Other groups have five million, you know, a lot of these hardcore liberal organizations. And when you scroll down, it's nothing but leftist drivel where I'm providing links to all kinds of articles. And, you know, it's it's a bunch of really great stuff on Facebook. These pages have five million and they have huge engagement on the left. My page, 80,000. The engagement is is I feel like it's pretty good, but it's not what it could be if they would just before like three years ago three or four years ago, I could get 18,000 people to watch a live stream of my weekly radio show. Now, if I get more than 2,000, Facebook says, hey, if you give us 20 bucks, we'll show 9,300 more people your video. I mean, it's, it's unbelievable. The algorithm, it never sleeps, it never gets tired, and it's constantly clamping down on pages like mine.
4: Well, yeah, and see, that's, that's the thing. We just have no idea, except what we do know is this. And it's this an important thing. If you're pro-life, then Facebook, Twitter, and all disagree with you. I mean, foundationally disagree with you. If you're pro-gun, that, you know, Facebook and Twitter, particularly Facebook, well, they won't even take ads or allow posts, uh, certain types of posts about guns. Uh, YouTube, the same way. And you can go down the line uh, if you criticize various victim statuses, even illegal immigration is a protected victim status in, in Facebook. And so what they've done... They've created these so-called hate speech rules, and they've done it to uh, basically knock out all the things that they disagree with. And, in fact, last week um, on Wednesday, they were having a big day-long event online on Facebook about global safety and how Facebook's working with, with global safety. Well, that, that sounds really good, and some of, the, some of the things you're talking about are perfectly fine, even, even uh, you know, very good. Facebook, you notice, it's not having a global day talking about free speech. They're talking about safety. The the core element in all of these companies is a belief that safety outweighs freedom. So if you say something or believe something that makes me uncomfortable, well, of course, you can't say that. And you've got to be banned or suspended or have the taste learned that how to weaponize this. And they, the companies set up uh, infrastructure to do this. Conservatives, we believe in free speech. So if I see something in my Twitter feed or my Facebook feed, I'm generally not alerting on it. I'm not complaining about it. I might criticize it, might respond to it. But I'm not saying take it down. The left has the exact opposite. Thing you know, you know, you're having to take it down or Facebook is restricting who sees
2: it or Twitter is or whatever. So so in, in the big scheme of things, Dan, whether it's the algorithm or the little trolls that follow every single conservative page is really hard to get a fair shake. So what I've seen a lot of people say, and I, I've even started doing this a little bit myself, is I have a list of websites that I go to on a regular basis I no longer go to Facebook and go there through that. I go straight to those websites. I read the content that I want, and then I go on about my business so that the algorithm can't control me. Is that what we're looking at now, kind of going underground? Well, I
4: mean, some of it right now, at least you're able to access those. But here's the problem. Everybody on the right has been talking about this as an online problem, and it's not. It's just a general problem. In recent months, we've seen people that the media want to target, that social media want to target, where they run into problems with banking, where they, I mean, gun, gun companies, just as, just as the, the gun companies were targeted by, by various banks, now being, being politically incorrect can get you targeted by banks, online banks, so your ability to fundraise online, the ability, either one of our organizations to fundraise online is in jeopardy. Uh, we saw the other day that the Chicago Cubs saw someone making an OK sign, which is one of these Internet joke things where people, people on the left have convinced everybody that, oh, that's a racist symbol, when in fact it was done as a joke by one of these 4chan websites. Uh, Any other person was banned forever from going to the Chicago Cubs game just because they made an OK sign when you can find videos of hundreds or thousands of famous people making the OK sign. But this person did it now, and you're not allowed to do it now. And if you do, you're unperson. And literally, you know, I mean, we're talking about jobs, careers, uh, your, your ability to maybe even get a mortgage or you know, do anything in life. China has moved to this terrifying conclusion of all this where they have made something called a social score. And if you are a Christian and you have read the end parts of the Bible, and if you don't look at this and see the connection, that, that's scary to me. You mm. know, the, the social score literally allows government to rate you and decide what functions of society you're allowed to use. Are you allowed to buy a movie ticket? Can you ride on the train? Can you take a plane ride? Because they monitor everything you do, and they give you a rating and that's well, and that's where that's where all of this is i mean it's that's the national conclusion because we're seeing it done in one of the two largest nations on earth
2: well, and in china they especially use the social score to prevent you from leaving the country so what they'll what they'll do is because I remember reading about this and thinking this can't be real it it's totally real they the the stories that came out about it were supposed to be like this is what they're thinking about doing but it turns out they're already doing it it's already a thing you actually if you're a christian and you have your they'll reduce your social score to the point where you're not allowed to buy a plane ticket to leave the country Um, and if you think about that it's the ultimate in fascism and persecution because what they're saying is as a christian if you leave the country you're much less likely to come back here because you know we hate us and therefore we're going to punish you and make your life even worse than it would be if you weren't a Christian. So they only want people who believe as they believe to be allowed to leave because they'll be sure to come back. But anyone who loves freedom, God, anything like that, the parallels you just mentioned about it, you know, the biblical, um, it's the mark of the beast. It's, it's stunning. You, you can't deny that, that, that that's what this looks like.
4: Yeah, I mean, it doesn't mean it is. I, the Bible also says we won't know when the end times are, and so I'm not going to even pretend to, to, to say that I do. I don't. But it certainly is the kind of thing that people should be scared by. They, we, we are not the customers of Facebook and Twitter and Google, et cetera. We're the product. And so someone takes all of the data that is available out there. It could be a private company. could be government. could be you know anything. But all um. the data you pile on there, I mean, there's more data than spy agencies ever used to have on people. They knew wow. who all your friends are.
2: They well, Dan, we're up against are. the break, and I just want to say thanks again for coming on. Fantastic information. MRC Tech Watch, mrctv.org. Dan Gaynor, thanks for joining us today.
4: It's always a
2: pleasure. Thank you. This is Uncommon Moments. Here's former Super Bowl-winning NFL coach Tony Dungy and his wife Lauren sharing from their book Uncommon Marriage. Tony and I are blessed with nine children. Back when we had seven children, Tony did point out the math, the fact that if we adopted an infant, he would be 72 at the child's high school graduation. I said that age was only a state of mind, so we've adopted twice more since then. I'll never forget that day. I said to Lauren that seven represents the biblical number of completion. She understood the significance of that number, but then she brought up Jacob, the patriarch of Israel, who had 12 sons. She pointed out that we weren't even halfway to having 12 boys. See why two heads are better than one, Tony? Yes, I do. Now we need some more bedrooms. Tony and Lauren Dungy, authors of Uncommon Marriage. Discover more at CoachDungy.com.
1: I love AFR. You say it's on the radio, too? Here at American Family Radio, we know that many people find their audio entertainment in other places than the radio. So our programming is available with the AFR app on Apple and Android devices, through Amazon Alexa, and now available on Roku.
3: I just love the podcasts.
1: That, too. American Family Radio, streaming or podcast, now available wherever you are. And we're on the radio. Master D. Back
0: the Back to God movement always reminds people that we got to know who we are and whose we are. And we are children of the Most High God. Made in His image and likeness. That's what Genesis 1.26 says. Made in His image and likeness. So that means if Yeshua can walk on water, guess what? We can too. Each weekday at 4 o'clock Central on Urban Family Talk. And let's get Back to God. Donald Trump's America.
5: President Trump is talking about why there's no trade deal between the U.S. and China right now. He spoke in an exclusive interview with Fox's Steve Hilton Sunday night.
4: We had a very strong deal. We had a good deal. And at the end, they changed it. And I said, that's okay. We're going to tariff their products.
5: Those tariffs increased earlier this month from 10 to 25 percent on $200 billion worth of Chinese goods. The president says he wants this trade deal with China to make up for previous deals that he says weren't favorable to the United States.
1: I told him, I said, look, this can't be like a 50-50 deal. This has to be a
4: deal. You're so far ahead from presidents that didn't that allowed you to get away this can't be a 50 50 deal anyway
5: as for the worry that tariffs will hurt farmers president trump is offering to subsidize them from tariff income but he says some farmers don't even want it all they want is a level they just want to make a living like they have in new york rob dawson fox news
0: Welcome back to Stacy on the Right on American Family Radio and Urban Family Talk.
1: If I were the Democrats, I would be quite worried. And the reason why is by appointing a U.S. attorney, Attorney General Barr is essentially signaling that he thinks it's possible that criminal violations occurred in the start of the whole investigation into any kind of any kind of Trump-Russia collusion, uh, as Judge Starr said, there's already an Inspector General investigation going on that's going to come to a conclusion. That's what you would do if you were just interested in reforming uh, the way the department does things, the way decisions were made. But you wouldn't go with a U.S. attorney like Durham, so someone of his stature, unless the Attorney General thinks actually something criminal might have happened, that someone might have violated the law, that there might have been malfeasance, that people uh, at the FBI or the Justice Department were acting out of partisan motives, not just out of incompetence or stupidity, or they were duped by the Russians or Steele or the English or by the Clinton campaign. So if you were a Democrat, I think you would be really worried to see the appointment of a career prosecutor like this.
2: Uh, Yeah, and so what you're listening to there is Joe DiGenova, Actually, sorry, that's not Joe DeGeneva. That's an ex DOJ official saying Democrats should be quite worried about the latest of what's coming on. And one of the things that I think is is happening here is now we're starting to see kind of things coming together for what happened with the FBI. Nobody wants to really dig into this. No, nobody, nobody in the intelligence field, people aren't interested in being investigated. Um, and so you've had a lot of a lot of different people who have been discussing it. obviously, Devin Nunez has come out uh discussing the Russian narrative and talking about the scale and the scope of the fraudulent construct now, look, there was a report that kind of showed pretty strongly that Mueller's investigation fully committed to the steel dossier, so an inordinate amount of the report actually focuses on justifying. The validity of the steel dossier, looking at the claims held within it and investigating them, as opposed to admitting that it was an unsourced, unverified document that was kind of propped up. Had they simply acknowledged that, had Mueller said, look, first, instead of looking at this as valid, we have to kind of say, why was it why was it considered unsourced? Why was it invalid to begin with? And what made it valid? in looking at it in a basically coming from ground zero is it's valid. They over, they, they just skipped over all of that. They leapfrogged over. Why was it that it took so long to come out? If it was valid, why wasn't it reported during the campaign? If it was sourced and valid and, and real investigative journalism, well, they skip over all of that and go straight into trying to verify the claims. And when they're unable to, that that's, that points to the length of the investigation and also casting around trying to find criminal activities on the part of people who were in Trump world. They were able to find some, but none of it having to do with their original mandate being the the, you know, Russia collusion. Was there any uh, obstruction of justice? Was there any? So they're looking into that. Um, and Mike Rogers, who's a former NSA director and, and admiral, has actually kind of pointed to kind of the reasoning behind how this has happened as well. In early 2016, Admiral Mike Rogers caught on to a massive and pre-existing weaponization of government surveillance and the use of collected NSA metadata for political spying operations. So everything that comes after his discovery is basically a part of the cover-up, every little bit of it. You've got the Russian election interference narrative, the use of Joseph Mifsud, Stephen Halper, the London and Australian embassy personnel, Erica Thompson, Alexander Downer, USDIA officials, everything around this crossfire hurricane operation. And then everything that came after that, which includes this idea that the Steele dossier was anything more than an oppo research document. So they wanted to cover up what Mike Rogers discovered, and they wanted to cover up the unmasked records that existed in the Obama White House secure information facility. So, you know, you got in April of 2016, you have Fusion GPS hired to research Donald Trump. But the intelligence community was already doing surveillance and spy operations before that. They already knew everything about the Trump campaign. So you've got the Obama intelligence community basically wanting Fusion GPS to give them a justification for pre-existing surveillance and spy ops. You see what we're saying here? You got Obama and the intelligence community under him spying on Donald Trump. Spying on him. And then they're like, well, we've been spying. How do we justify this? Because we found nothing. So they look to Fusion GPS. That is why the FBI and later the Mueller team, after he was, you know, stood up as uh, the the investigator, that's why they're so married to the formation of the Steele dossier. Without it, they don't have any justification for all the spying they were doing, and it doesn't matter if the justification is valid. They just want something. So, why is the Steele dossier so important? Well, I mean, aside from what I've just told you, it's also the thought that the Fusion GPS objective to dig up dirt on Donald Trump for political exploitation. And and right here, I want to make a point. I've seen many talking heads on CNN discussing how um, even even Joy Behar over on The View made a comment uh, last week about how she hopes that President Trump and the Trump administration won't accept foreign information, information from the Russians and other governments that are our adversaries on political candidates. That's what she said. We, oh, I hope he won't do that. Well, you know what's funny about her saying that? That's exactly what they did to Donald Trump. Again, projection. So they don't want anyone to take information from a foreign government and use it as, a, you know, opposition research. But that's exactly what they did. And if if it was good for them to do, why wouldn't it be good for the Trump administration who they'll be going for reelection to do it to them? So there's a more significant role for fusion. You got the uh, government already conducting political surveillance on political opposition. Um, you know, the FISA 702 databases the search, they're they're being searched. Those searches are being exploited months, if not years beforehand. Um, so Mike Rogers, who was NSA director at the time, when he discovered that the databases were being used for oppo research and, and surveillance on political opposition, he shut down contractor access. This is April 18th of 2016. Redacted documents show proof that that's what he did. So April of 2016 is also when Fusion GPS was hired by the DNC and the Clinton team. So you're saying we don't think that there was any communication between the Obama administration and Clinton. Of course there was, she was the heir apparent. It was her turn. She was going to be president after president Obama. He's the first black president. She's the first female president and all of the power stays securely in the hands of the Democrats. So you've got, that going on, that communication going on. They want to cover up the surveillance, government surveillance, government spying that's already taking place. They're also possibly afraid of what Mike Rogers might do beyond suspending contractor access to uh, the FISA 702 databases. And then they need an external source on which to pin their domestic surveillance and spy ops. So, this is corruption on steroids. US intelligence apparatus being weaponized against political opposition. The steel dossier is just the one shiny bit that everybody gets to pay attention to. So, you can link it all up together. You got Peter Strzok and Lisa Page, they're lovers, and they're discussing this so called insurance policy. They weren't talking about, hey, if she wins, we need an insurance policy. They're talking about if we're not able to sway this election to get Hillary Clinton elected, we need a way to get him out of office so that in any case, we don't have him. If she's elected, everything goes on as normal. They continue to weaponize agencies against Americans and they continue to cover up their ill dealings. But if she's not elected, the weaponization of the government would be something that the eventual incoming administration might uncover. And a plausible, legitimate reason for deploying this political spying would be the Steele dossier. It's full of salacious, made-up details, but who cares if they're made up? They could be true. They would use it to validate the surveillance that they had been doing on so many Americans to include Donald Trump. So this is where you can insert John Brennan. John Brennan, John Brennan, actually kind of was, he, his role was to manufacture this excuse for an FBI operation to begin through the use of quote unquote unofficial challenge channels. So unofficial channels, Joseph Mifsud, Stephen Hopper, and eventually Alexander Downer. And they did this through an Australian intelligence asset named Erica Thompson. She was working in London with us intelligence assets, Terrence Dudley, Greg Baker, and, that little operation can nicknamed and dubbed the Papadopoulos operation. So you got Papadopoulos and communications, Russia related communications between campaign officials and Russians. I, I let me stress this again. The same people who currently have 40% of Americans thinking that Donald Trump is an asset of the Russian government They were the ones back in the spring and summer of 2016 communicating with people who were in foreign governments. And then, of course, Lewandowski, Corey Lewandowski, he was actually working on the Trump campaign at that point. He's getting reached out to from Russians, people in Russian government. So they're they're. They're being trapped. They forward these messages to Paul Manafort, uh, request from Russia to meet Mr. Trump. Russia has been eager to meet with Mr. Trump for some time. And then they use these communications to further justify the spying they were doing on the Trump campaign. I mean... All of that was used to justify the FBI opening an investigation of potential coordination between Russia and the Trump campaign based on that information. So they needed this overseas operation to yield fruit so that they could create a plausible explanation for all the spying they'd already been doing. They wanted Fusion to basically pick up that slack, which they did. Fusion ran operations for the Russian appearances aside Inside the U.S., especially the Trump Tower meeting, the one that everyone keeps saying the Trump Tower meeting is the reason why Don Jr. is guilty. The Trump Tower meeting. It's not. This is all a coordinated setup. So Fusion actually used previously extracted FISA 702 results to create more supportive evidence and plausible material. That Fusion effort actually led to the Steele dossier. In a similar way, the Brennan operation needed the Australian diplomat Alexander Downer to cross from unofficial to official channels. And similarly, the Steele dossier had to cross from unofficial opposition research into official investigative product. So they just issued a FISA warrant and started working on Carter Page. The FISA warrant was needed to get more information to support what they were already doing. So the Steele dossier actually worked as kind of like a virus to get them inside of the system. They had to get the virus into uh, basically to change what they were doing from illegitimate to legitimate. And remember the FBI already knew Carter page. He was irrelevant, but they used him to facilitate the dossier going from, something that was illegitimate, unsourced and and not to be used to something that was a source document for everything that they had done and would be doing afterwards. So remember if Hillary had won, nobody discusses this. You and I don't know about it. None of us talk about it. None of this is public knowledge, but if she loses the fraudulent investigative evidence protects all of the players for their role in weaponizing, intelligence, spying, and surveillance operations from this scandal-free Obama administration. President Obama is at the core of this story. He knew that they were doing this. He knew that the FBI was doing this. He knew that this was in support of his heir apparent, Hillary Clinton, and her supposed presidency. And he worked like the Dickens to make sure that all of this would yield the result that they wanted. And and my point, wrap it all up, share it, call it down to one specific thing. They did all of this. They set the boulders up, they laid the traps, they did everything they could do. They used every means and method available to them and they were still unable to stop Donald Trump from becoming president. And if you think this is it, you're not paying attention. They'll do this again every time they're in power. Unbelievable. All right, God bless from the heartland if you're leaving us now. One dot com. Hit that website up, Stacy on the right.